quickly! <laughs> For Gru, being a supervillain isn't easy. We stole the Statue of Liberty! The small one from Las Vegas. He has to control... Listen up, please! ...an army of minions. Dave? He has to outsmart... A ruthless arch enemy. He shrinks, right? No! Oh, I hate that guy. And he's about to inherit. Hello! Three small problems. You will not cry or sneeze or barf or fart. No annoying sounds. Does this count as annoying? <sighs> From Universal Pictures. We are going to pull off the true cry of the century. We are going to steal. And Chris Melodondre, executive producer of Ice Age and Horton Hears a Who. I shrink the moon. I grab the moon. I sit on the toilet. What? <laughs> You're funny. No. <laughs> By the time I'm done with Groot, he's going to be begging for mercy. We have to hold him. And fast. Just because he's a bad guy doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Three little kittens started to yawn. Now make them drink the milk. Wow, this is garbage. You actually like this? Despicable me in eye-popping 3D. All you gotta do is knock down that spaceship there. Oh, somebody's got a frowny face. Okay, my toy. Knocked over! It's so fluffy! The speaker. The speaker. The speaker. The speaker. The speaker. The speaker. Well, welcome to week four of At The Movies. My name is Scott Bixby, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge Church. Whether you're online, Rondecoit, Webster, Greece, or Henrietta, we're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, I want to introduce myself. My name's Scott, and I, I want to introduce my family. We're going to talk about parenting today, and so I thought it might be helpful for you to kind of see our family. Uh, on the screen, you'll see a picture behind me. It's a picture of my kids. Um, my kids range in age from 24 down to 10, and you can see them there. Noah and Adam no longer live at home. Uh, Noah is a CPA. He works in Rochester. He actually works part-time at the Webster campus, so shout out to the Webster campus as he's there with them. Uh, my second son lives down south, works at a church, and so they're gone. I have a daughter who's 18, another who is uh, 15, and a, and a third who is 10, and they're all at home with me. One's at GCC doing college, the other two are in school. Uh, why Despicable Me? And, and, and a picture there of my wife as well. And she, by the, by the way, is the rock star when it comes to parenting. I mean, she is, she should be up here talking to me. She debriefed me on a bunch of this stuff, but it's really helpful uh, to have a, a teammate like Heidi because she's just, she's just a gem. Uh, as a part of this process, we thought through, you know, in speaking about a movie, why Despicable Me? We see Despicable Me grew is a foster parent. 
Uh, he adopts three kids or is in the process of fostering. They're coming from an orphanage. And so he is a foster parent. Heidi and I are foster parents. Uh, for the last year, we've had 15 different kids in our home in addition to our biological kids. And so this has been a journey and it's been exciting, ranging in ages from three days old to 10 years old. That's who we've had in our home in and out throughout the year. And uh, right now we currently have a three-month-old. She's been with us for a couple of months. Uh, a couple weekends ago, we had uh, three others that jumped in, and in a couple weeks, we got another three that are jumping in. So it's a revolving door, and it's an adventure. But we thought, parenting, yeah, we, we experienced this. We've had 20 different kids who've lived with us over the last year. Uh, in this series, we've talked about how the movies our culture creates reflect the ideas that our culture believes. And that connects to parenting as well. They just do. The movies we see uh, help us to understand what our culture believes. And we want to focus on that today. And um, as we do, the first thing we see our culture say is that kids just won't listen. They just won't listen. And um, that is uh, something that oftentimes is true. In fact, the first clip that we're going to look at today, you're going to see Gru in action and the kids not listening. So check out this clip of Gru in action. won't listen and obey. It's what our culture tells us, and oftentimes it's true. But for us as parents, it's our responsibility to help them to learn to listen and obey. It just is. It's a God-given responsibility, and it's something he asks us to. You see, the bottom line is my kids are always going to be living under somebody's authority. They are. Whether that's the government, whether that's the boss, I mean, there's always going to be authorities in their life. And part of success for me is helping them get ready for that. And, and prepare them for that. There's a quote from the book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, that says this. It says, the purpose for your authority in the lives of your children is not to hold them under your power, but to empower them to be self-controlled people living freely under the authority of God. And my task, Heidi's task, as we tag team with our kids, is to help them get ready to live under the authority. Because they're always going to be under, under the authority of multiple individuals, including God. As a part of that process, I was talking to my son Noah uh, just about this talk a couple weeks ago. One of the things he said to me is he said, Dad, you know this idea of living under authority and helping your kids to live under authority? He said, uh, 
it's interesting. The longer you wait to help your kids live under authority, the bigger the consequences are the harder it is for them to learn. And he said, the earlier you get that, the better. And I, th I think that's just so true, just so true. Well, as we think through helping our kids to live under authority and what that involves, uh, my wife and I have kind of created some action steps for us, some things that we said, these help us to think through helping our kids live under authority. The first thing we think through is just how to, how to limit the battles that we have with our kids. Because there's a million battles you can have, right? And with 20 different kids, there's all sorts of battles out there. So we limit them. We try to think through what are one or two or three or four battles. And these are the ones we're going to focus on. And these are the ones because success is not them doing everything I want them to do. Success is them learning to live under authority. So you pick your battles and you limit those. Uh, for us, you know, like lying or disrespecting authority, those were big and those are kind of ones that came to the, the forefront. The second thing that helped us and has helped us as a part of parenting is having clear battles that we're fighting. So being really clear on the battles. Uh, kind of like if-then statements, kind of like contracts. So void of emotion, void of any, you know, flying off the handle, but this is a contract. If you do this, this is what happened. If you throw a temper tantrum, you slid in time out. Your choice. And if you continue to scream, you stay in timeout. When you're done screaming, you can leave timeout. Like, that's just how it plays. Um, if you hit your sibling, you don't get to use the tablet tonight before bed. Like, all the other kids are looking at tablets, they're watching tablets. You can't. You have to look on with somebody else. Your choice. You make the choice. What do you want to do? You want the tablet or not? If you wear your sister's clothes, you owe her rent, right? I mean, that's simple. That's all there is to it. If you don't ask, you just wear her clothes, then there's rent charge. So you make a choice. You want to wear her clothes? Fine. You just owe her rent. And that's a part of a contract that's there. So it's a clear contract. Um, I've had contracts that sat on my fridge for months that just clearly said, I mean, it's just clear. This is how it works. If you do this, this is what happens. And then as a parent, I sit outside of emotion and all I do is help them to follow through on the contract, right? I mean, it's if this happens, this is what happens. So I'm not getting mad. In fact, I'm going the opposite direction. I'm saying to the kid, please don't do this. Because if you do this, I have to punish you. Like that's my God-given responsibility. I don't want to punish you. So please don't do it. Well then, once they do, and I must punish them, I'm like, why did you do this to me? You know I don't want to punish you. Like this is not what I want, but you're doing it to me and you're doing it to you. Please don't do this again. And you follow through with the punishment. So it's a clear, concise, void of emotion, clearly understood, posted publicly contract that you work through with your kids. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this about parenting. It says, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Okay, I want, you to, I want to hold you on that verse here just, just for a second. Uh, what does it tell us about discipline? It says that there needs to be a little pain, like there needs to be a little discomfort as a part of this, right? But ultimately, it brings about right living, which brings peace into their life, which is what I want as a parent. I want them to experience peace. I want them to live right, and so there's going to be some pain, and there's going to be some struggle. That's a part of the process. Uh, the second action that Heidi and I have found helpful to us as we think through parenting uh, and helping our kids to live under authority is set appropriate consequences. Set appropriate consequences. And what do we mean by that? Set appropriate counselors. Uh, the first thing would be have the misbehavior fit the crime or fit the, mis uh, the punishment. So uh, whatever they've done, if, if they haven't eaten all their food, then they don't get dessert, right? Like I can't make my kid eat food, right? I, if they don't like peace, I, 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 there's no way. You can't force your kid to eat. But you can say if you don't eat, you don't get dessert. And then it's their choice what they want to do on that front. If you leave your bike outside 
and I have to bring it back in, then you don't get to ride your bike for the next three nights. That's your choice. I, I don't want to clean your bike. I, I want you to ride your bike, but if you leave it out, this is how it plays. And so now it just, you're just working through this process of helping them to see, hey, it matches. The second thing is fit the kid. Some of our kids, well, they all, they're all different, and they all have different things that provide that pain point for them and that, that would help them to want to live under an authority. Uh, with some kids, it, it's foods. You know, it could be sweets or, you know, those kind of things. Bonuses are tied to that. With other kids, for the boys, for years, it was video games. Like, they just love gaming systems, and so that became a natural that if you lost a privilege, it was tied to a gaming system. Others, it's technology, tablets. With some, it's just money, which sounds crazy, but, you know... <laughs> It's incredible. If, if you say, okay, I continue to clean this up for you, but in the future, if I have to clean this up and I find that you left it out again, it's a $2 charge. Your choice. It's a $2 charge. You decide what you want to do. It is incredible how fast things can get cleaned up when there's suddenly a $2 charge attached to it. <laughs> Crazy, right? Just a $2 charge. But money works for some kids. So think through, what is it that fits the kid and how can I help them to live under authority, right? I mean, that's the goal, helping them to live under authority. Uh, the final and most important action in all of this, as we thought it through, is be consistent in your follow-through. Be consistent. So often when Heidi and I have seen struggles with our kids, it's tied to our inconsistency. It just is. Like, we're not being consistent. We'll tell them that there's a plan, but then we won't follow up. One or the other of us is sabotaging the plan. And that's just not fair to the kids. In fact, inconsistency in our parenting is unfair to our kids. It just is. It confuses them, Right? I mean, they're thinking this is the rule, and then it switches. And it also causes them to disbehave more often in the future, which just makes it harder for me as a parent. So why not just follow through and say, okay, this is the way it is. And, and I'll say this, uh, as a parent, stay unified together with your spouse. Um, I can't be the easy guy who comes home and lets the kids off. Um, I also can't always be the heavy, and she's not backing me up. We need to come up with our plan. We need to formulate our plan outside of emotion, and we need to say, this, this is the, these are the rules. It's an if-then statement. If you do this, this happens, and then we need to be unified in it and continue to help our kids to learn to live under authority. If you struggle with this idea of authority and your kids living under authority, remember, we didn't invent this. Like, this is Ephesians 6.1, right? What does it say? Ephesians 6.1 says, children, obey your parents. My responsibility as a dad is to help my kids to do that. Like, I want my kids to please God. And if my kids please God, they obey me. I know that can sound self-serving, but really that's what I'm here for, is to help them be ready. And a part of that is helping them to live under authority. So that is the first thing our culture says is kids won't obey, but I'm telling you, they will. And this is important. This is important. We get to influence kids for, the, for their life. Like we're on the front end of their life and we can change the trajectory of their life with how we do this and helping them on this first front. The second thing our culture tells us is that kids' bedtime routines can be such a pain. Watch Gru as he experiences what he views as such a pain. Will you read us a bedtime story? No. Pretty please. The physical appearance of the please makes no difference. It is still no, so go to sleep. But we can't. We're all hyper. And without a bedtime story, we'll just keep getting up and bugging you. All night long. Oh, fine. All right. Sleepy kittens. Sleepy kittens. What are these? Tell 
okay, let's get this over with. Three little kittens loved to play. They had fun in the sun all day. Then their mother came out and said, time for kittens to go to bed. Wow, this is garbage. You actually like this? Keep reading. <gasps> Come on. All right, all right, all right, all right. Three little kittens started to bawl. Mommy, we're not tired at all. Their mother smiled and said with a purr, fine, but at least you should brush your fur. Now you brush the fur. This is literature? A two-year-old could have written this. All right. Three little kittens with fur all brushed said, we can't sleep, we feel too rushed. The mother replied with a voice like silk, fine, but at least you should drink your milk. Now make them drink the milk. Oh, I don't like this book. This is going on forever. Three little kittens with milk all gone rubbed their eyes and started to yawn. We can't sleep. We can't even try. Then their mother sang a lullaby. Good night, kittens. Close your eyes. Sleep in peace until you rise. Though while you sleep, we are apart. Your mommy loves you with all her heart. The end, okay, good night. Bedtime routines. I hate to say it, but for years I did the bedtime routine with our kids and I've felt those things. This is taking forever. You know, let's just get this over with. I hate it that that's true, but I have felt that and I, I can relate to, to Gru in that scene. Do you know there was a study that was done by the American Psychological Association and they did, it was a 50-year study and this is what they found. They found that during infancy and preschool, children are healthier and their behavior is better regulated when there are predictable routines in the family. Uh, children with regular bedtime routines get to sleep sooner and wake less frequently during the night than those with less regular routines. And as a dad of a three-month-old at my house right now, I am all about go to bed sooner and sleep all night. Like, that, that's, that's me. You see, routines make a difference. It's interesting. Kids need routines. They need routines. Uh, uh, with foster care, one of the hardest things as a foster parent is watching kids not want to leave our house. Uh, when they're done and they're going to a resource or a relative or whatever and having them not want to leave. And, and I, Heidi and I are convinced one of the reasons for that is they find structure and kids crave structure. They crave that. It's not like we don't have a lot of rules. You know, we're working, we force them to follow through on the rules. I mean, there's structure there, but they love it. They crave it. And therefore, it's hard for them when it's time to leave and, and move to, the, to their next step. As a part of this whole process of structure, um, we as parents need to, as our second goal, build structure into each day. Build structure into each day. Uh, as you think through structures, one of the places that structure happens is with the bedtime routine, right? It's there. It's there every day. Um, in Deuteronomy, it kind of gives a prescription for us as parents. And it's God speaking to his people. And he's saying, this is how it is that you ought to live. And, and there's some routine in there. Check this out. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 and 19. It says, fix these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Okay, I want you to hold right there. This first verse is talking to parents. It's saying, if you're a parent... 
this is what you need to do. You need to take God's word and you need to fix it on your mind and you need to fix it on your hands. You need, to, you need to put it on your heart. So it needs to be something you're living out. You know it, it's in your head and you're living it out. It's in your hands. So hands to head. That's the first thing we as parents need to do. The second thing is found in verse 19. It talks about our transferring this to our kids. It says, teach them, God's truths, to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. It's saying, all day long, figure out ways to take the scriptures that are in your head and work them into your kids' lives. Boil it down for them. Help them to see it. Help them to catch it as you go throughout your day. Uh, in the things tied to High Point, so my kids are in High Point, so with High Point, they send you home like packet stuff. It talks about drive time, meal time, and bedtime as being three times when we as parents can systematically build truths into our kids' lives. And, and it's just so important that we're doing that. I, at the same time, as we think this through, a maybe even more important part of the process is us as parents building it into our own lives and thinking through, am I building structures into my life where I'm intaking God's word on a daily basis and then I'm able to take that and pour that out for my kids. So, so important to build structure into our kids' lives and to use it for the sake of the gospel, to take gospel truths, the cross, and get it in front of my kids on a daily basis. The third thing our culture tells us is that our kids are gonna remind us of our failures. Our kids are gonna remind us of our failures. And we're gonna watch Gru. Uh, he is gonna be reminded of his failures and the way that we see this play out. Um, he's actually returned the kids to foster care. He sent them back to the orphanage. It didn't work out well, so he returns them. But then he bumps into them along the way and he needs them to trust him and they kind of throw it all back in his face and say, why should we trust you? Watch as Gru's in action. Get as close in as you can. confronted with his failures comes through, right? He says, I, yes, you're right. It's the worst mistake I've ever made and I will never let you go. Our kids need to see us owning our failures. They do. My kids need to see me owning my failures. And that comes into play in a couple different ways as a parent. Uh, first of all, they need to see me asking others for forgiveness. They need to see me fail. I mean, part of the gospel is the kids seeing me as needing a forgiver, uh, me needing uh, redemption in my own life. So they need to see me fail and they need to see me say, dad blew it, please, will you forgive me? Or dad blew it tied to somebody else and watching me ask them for forgiveness. It's so important that kids watch us asking for forgiveness. In uh, the book, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, which is an incredible book, it says, if you want to enjoy any progress or blessing in your relationships. It will require you to admit your sin humbly 
and commit yourself to the work that they require. Admit and commit, admit and commit. And my kids need to see me admitting that I am despicable as a dad and they need to see me saying, I'm gonna be better. I wanna commit to do better as a result. And uh, that's just so important. The second part of my kids watching me own my failures is they need to see me asking God for help. They need to see me admitting my need for help in my parenting. It's asking God for help. Uh, I, for years, I, I enjoy praying the scriptures back to God. So I'll take scripture truths, whatever, and pray them back to God and say, hey God, I would love to see you do this in this person's life or I'd love to see you do this in, in, in this situation over here. And you say this, this is who you are, please, you know, that kind of a thing. And years ago in my, my daily Bible reading, like read through the Bible in a year kind of thing, I came across a prayer that King David prayed for Solomon. So he's praying this for his son. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, this is exactly what he's praying for his kid. And so I began, Heidi and I pray together each day. And so as a part of praying together, and even on one of my daily cards that I pray myself, um, I added this in. So I, I took a scripture from King David and said, wow, if he, I mean, Solomon kind of turned out pretty good, right? I mean, <laughs> he's the wisest guy on the planet. I thought, you know, not that this is a prescription for, for, sure, for sure success, but wow, if he prayed it, I will. So in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 19, we see this written. King David says, give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands and your laws and your decrees. I can't give my kids a wholehearted desire to follow God. I can't, and you can't either. But I can declare my dependence every single day on God and say, God, I want you to give my kids a wholehearted desire to follow you. I can't do this on my own. I want you to. And then I can tell my kids, I pray that every day for you. And when Heidi and I pray together at night, we pray that every night uh, for our kids and talk about different things that our kids are struggling with at different points in time. On a side note, if you're a couple, if you struggle to pray together, praying together over your kids is one of the easiest ways to start praying together. It just is. Because every day there's needs tied to your kids and it's a chance to debrief and then pray together and just make that your starting point. If you don't pray together, make that today a starting point for you. Say, today we're gonna start this and every night before we go to bed, we're gonna pray for our kids and we're gonna declare our dependence on God to help them wholeheartedly wanna follow him. The... Fourth thing that we see our culture saying to us about parenting is that kids make bad days worse. Uh, check out this video. As uh, In this sense, uh, Gru has had a bad day working up to this. He had, there were like long lines at the coffee shop. Uh, drivers are really slow on the road. He gets home, meets a neighbor, and it doesn't go great with a neighbor. And then he goes inside, and the girls provide him with some additional opportunities to struggle. So watch. Uh, okay. As I was saying, hey, oh! Somebody broke that. Okay, okay. Clearly, we need to set some rules. Rule number one you will not touch anything. Uh huh. What about the floor? Yes, you may touch the floor. What about the air? Yes, you may touch the air. What about this? Ah! Where did you get that? Found it. Okay, rule number two, you will not bother me while I'm working. Rule number three, you will not cry, or whine, or laugh, or giggle, or sneeze, or burp, or fart. So, no, no, no annoying sounds, right? Does this count as annoying? Very. 
we can come home. And the kids don't always make it harder at the end of the day, but there's times when it does make it harder. When we come home after having a bad day and, and there's struggle. You see, the bottom line is bad days happen. It's what we do with them is what matters. Bad days happen. I've asked my daughter Olivia to come out and she's gonna kind of, we're gonna demonstrate for you what a bad day can look like in my life and Olivia's life and some of the bumps that are a part of that. So Olivia, come on out and uh, this is gonna represent, here I'll let you hold it. This will represent your week or your day. Oh, it was rough. She works at Chick-fil-A, so oh, look at that. <laughs> okay, don't spill Liv, come on. And then this is my day here at the church. There we go. Oh, yes. Okay, so with Olivia and Maya's relationship, there are things that can cause us to spill, okay? Uh, what might some of those things be that could cause us to spill? Uh, one thing that can happen is we share a car, and so there are times when I have plans for the car and Olivia has plans for the car. And so I can come home and say, hey, I'm taking mom out, we're going, and Olivia can have friends' plans and they just don't happen. And that is a bump for Olivia. And things spill when uh, Olivia gets bumped. And then there's times when I can be bumped by Olivia. I can come home and I'll be like, whose stuff is this? Like there's stuff over here and there's stuff over there and there's stuff, over, like wh where did all this stuff come from? Oh, from, from. <laughs> it's good, Lou. <laughs> and stuff begins to spill out of both of us as a part of the process. Uh, I like to organize the family on a little like work project kind of stuff. So uh, I will at times organize a work project. We're gonna all work on this together. And Olivia likes to organize uh, social projects. Like that's kind of what she likes, right? And so there's times when Olivia will come home and there'll be a clash between the work project and the social project. And when that happens, there is a bump because Olivia will oftentimes lose her social project <laughs> as a part of the process. Uh, one final bump that happens with us is just tied to use of that car. Um, because I'll need the car, I'll be, headed somewhere and Olivia might be a little late with the car and the, the car might come with a little less gas in it than it needs to have. And as a result of that, there is a bump that happens and things spill. You see, these bumps and these spills are normal, right? I mean, they just happen. They can, they can happen with all my kids. They can happen with your spouse. They can happen at work, right? I mean, there's bumps that happen all the time and there's spills that happen. Things come spilling out. Uh, in, the, in the book, uh, How to Change, uh, there's a, a text in there where it says, the Bible teaches us again and again that our circumstances don't cause us to act as we do. They only expose the true condition of our hearts revealed in our words and actions. The anger we reveal in the middle of a trial says more about us than it does about the trial. Don't miss that. The anger that's revealed in the midst of a trial says more about us than it does about the trial. You see, it's not a problem that I spilled and then Olivia spilled. That's not a problem. That's natural. We're going to spill. Like things are going to come spilling out when we have a tough day. The real problem is what comes out of the cup when it spills. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart, and an evil man brings evil out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what's in the heart. And what comes out of this cup, this spill, that's what's in my heart, and that's what's in Olivia's heart. That's the real issue. What is it that comes spilling out, what comes bubbling out when we experience conflict? The fourth goal that we have as parents is we got to examine our hearts. And thanks, Olivia. Appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, examine our hearts. And as we think about examining our hearts, um, 
There's a, a text of scripture that our kids in High Point have been working on all summer long. And if you've got kids in High Point, you know this because you've seen it. In fact, uh, there's a little swag tag that they gave to, to our kids that uh, last month that listed out this text. And it talks about what spills out of me, what spills out of us, what spills out of our kids when we're bumped, when we spill. What does that look like? What's in our heart? What comes out? This little swag tag that they gave to us, and that you're all going to get one uh, today before you leave. Uh, this little swag tag gives the, the text in Galatians chapter 5. It's the fruits of the Spirit, and I'll read it for you. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I like to think of these as two separate lists, two different things that can come bubbling out of my life. You see, there's the acts of the flesh, and then there's the acts of the Spirit. The first list, those are natural, right? I don't have to work at that. That comes out automatically. When I bang into any of the kids at my house or my spouse or coworkers, those things come natural. I mean, it's real easy for me to become jealous, for me to you know, have rage come bubbling out, selfishness come out, dissension, that, that, that's like a, you know, quarreling. Quarreling comes out natural. But then there's the supernatural list, the list that God says he can help me to live out. And when I'm bumped, when I spill, I pray that list comes out. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Well, how do we do on that? How we do? One of the things I love about foster caring, as a foster parent, it exposes my selfishness over and over again. It just does. It reveals the nature of my heart. It shows what's going on inside. It shows how easy it is for those spills to be all about me. Not about love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. It's a gift of parenting. It exposes us for who we are. How'd you do last week on this front? What came boiling out? What would your kids say comes boiling out of you when you get shaken? What would my kids say comes boiling out of me when I get shaken? One of the things I love to do is pray the scriptures, as I said earlier. Um, I just would encourage you, if you want to do better this week, begin to pray the scriptures. Take this little swag tag and begin to pray it every day, wherever the pressure points are for you. Put it on your, your keychain. Maybe it's on the way home. Like you say, okay, I got to pray these through because I know it's going to be rough when I hit home and I want to pray these through. Maybe for you, it's at work. Maybe you need to pray these at lunch too. I, I don't know, but pray these. Say, God, this is a supernatural gift and I have the Holy Spirit inside me and you tell me that you'll help me as a part of this process because we're here to represent him. We're here to represent him well to our culture. We're here to represent him well to our kids. And my prayer for all of us is that we do it well. We do it well, all for his honor and glory. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for the fruits of the Spirit. I thank you for the gift that they are and that you give us an opportunity to represent you and live out for you. I just pray for all my friends here, as we're parents, as we're interacting with all sorts of relationships. This works in all relationships. I pray that good things would spill out of my heart and out of my life, all for your honor and glory, because of your gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a song, and it's the song entitled Living Hope. And, and the reason we're singing this song is just a reminder. It doesn't matter what happened last week. It doesn't matter what happened last month. It didn't matter last year. We want to be reminded of the cross, and we want to be reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us and the chance we have to live well for him this week. So uh, we're going to sing across all campuses. We'd like you to stand, and let's sing together about the living hope.